0: If you want to learn something and you want to master it, I don't care if it's master quitting smoking or master being coming to You've got to be willing to just go, I'm going to start this like I don't know a thing about it. And I'm just going to absorb it and take it in and be curious and do my best to get out of judgment of it based on whatever I think it was or should be or could be or whatever. And, and just be curious and go for it and check it out. And then notice what happens and notice this and notice that and before you know it, you've got a skill that's now automatic.
1: You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear-Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you wanna learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you.
2: Hello everybody, I'm Robbie Spear-Miller, your host for The Hypnosis Show podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about the theme of of what are the really great things about somebody seeing possibility, and where might the downsides be, and what can we learn about this for ourselves and our own lives and our goals, and if you are a hypnotist or you're in any business where you're helping people, where could it get in the way of people being successful? And so today, I have with me one of my colleagues who I've known for many years, and he's been uh, running hypnosis clinics. Right now, he has three different hypnosis clinics that he's running in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And so he's also a hypnosis trainer with the Master Hypnotist Society. So welcome, Jay Luck.
0: Hello, Robbie. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, good to have you here. So I know you're, you're somebody who I've been pretty fascinated by because I definitely don't handle life the way you do, um, but I, I can see that there are real benefits. You're, you're a really optimistic person and you, you've really lived your life towards lots of possibility and because of it, you've created a lot of possibility and a lot of real life things in your life. I know you've, you've also told me that there is a downside to it, but I would love to, to help people see what is it like. Like to live life the way you do so that they can learn how to bring this possibility and optimism and um, building something new more into their life. And also, how do they mitigate against the downside of it so they can? learn how to do that better and and as I say this I come from a very more conservative ruly background with people who play it safe a lot and so, yeah. so your approach to life is something like to me it's something I would see in the movies like before you were telling me about how you had your boat stolen by pirates I mean that's like yeah. stuff for the movies and so I think it'd be really interesting to that would be a great story to illustrate how you interact with life.
0: So maybe I should start with that. And, and, you know, before I even get into that, there's things about you I really admire. So if I could grab some of your stuff and you could grab a little bit of mine, we might be more balanced, you know? So my dad was a chemist. So, st- you know, straight up engineer. My son is a rocket engineer. He builds rocket engines that go in space. So I'm bracketed by these two engineers and I am not in a, even close to being an engineer, you know, because I'm doing this people stuff, right? So, um, but I'll, but I'll start with the story about the boat because, you know, and I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um. Uh, but the boat's a great example of things I've done that, that I shouldn't have done, you know, that looked awesome. But anyway, so when the real estate market went to crap down here, when, you know, when the world went to heck in 2007, 2008, um, I was just getting married when the market was falling apart. And at that time I was doing real estate in Las Vegas and I'm not a Vegas guy with the good and gambling and all that. It's just that that's where my client was. And I would fly there every single week. Work with my client. We sold thirteen hundred houses a year. I was the sales trainer for that, you know, using techniques I didn't realize later were just the just the tip of the iceberg for hypnosis stuff. But at any rate, I was doing that. The market went to heck. I'm in the middle of getting married to this woman, and I'm losing my income. Like the, the my primary client was going away, and so we had this boat that was paid for. And I'd always dreamed about taking off on the boat with you know millions of dollars in my pocket. I didn't have the millions of dollars, but we took off anyway. My wife says, "How are we going to make a living?" And I go, "I don't know. We'll figure it out." So we take off. We get on the Mississippi River. We get to the Gulf of Mexico. We, within a couple of months, we're over in the Bahamas. And I'm hanging around in the Bahamas, and I'm watching the. And it's, this is a sailboat I'm on, and I'm watching these guys on the docks hustle people to come off the cruise ships to go do beach tours and things like that. And I watched this one guy. He was really good. You know, he was really good, man. And, um, and he's hustling all these people and I'm watching. So a couple of days after I watch him, I go up to him and I go, you know, I'm real, I'm curious. I might want to hire you to take people for me to take people sailing. And I go, how do you get paid? He says, I get paid 10% within about 30 days. And I said, I'll pay you 25% cash within 24 hours. He goes, great. So he starts getting me people to go sailing. So anyway, we took people out sailing. They paid thousand dollars a day to go sailing, which made me plenty happy. I'm in paradise getting paid that. And, um, and I started to get pulled over by the coast, but they're called the Harbor harbor Patrol down there, but that'd be like the Coast Guard in the States. Anyway, they start pulling me over and hassling me about what I'm doing. Well, then I find out, well, you know, maybe I'd have a license, <laughs> you know, because I'm running because you, you can tell already where the store's going to go. I'm just going for it. I'll get permission later. But anyway, so I talked to my friend, Freddie, who owns this bar. He tells me about a guy I can go see at the government office to get a license. I go through the process to get it. And I still get pulled over by the Harbor Patrol. And I can't figure out why. So I go see my buddy, Freddie, at the bar. And he says, well, I mean, I don't know why, but I'll call a friend to him. So 10 minutes later, my phone rings. The Harbor Patrol captain's calling me. I go see him, and he's apologizing to me for his guys pulling me over. Uh, anyway, and he called me Captain Luck. And anyway, so I go back to see my buddy, Freddie, at the bar. I said, Freddie, what happened? He says, well, I called in a favor. I said, who's that? He said, in the, in, in the Bahamas, it's, it's like Parliament, like England. And anyway, the second person in command in the government is who he called to make a call for me. So anyway. I continue to do these charters. Now the guys that were, that I was hiring to get me the charters were not good boys. They talked about transporting things illegally to the United States. They asked me if I would bring things to the United States and I'm going, no, why would I do that? I'm making good money doing this. And why would I take a risk with my boat and all this? And they would keep nudging me to do it. And I kept saying, no, and we'd have another beer together. And you know, so here I am, nothing's going to touch me. And so I keep blowing it off. We keep having beers together, laughing about it. We keep doing our business. One night at three in the morning, two of the guys get on my boat with guns and three people that were illegal people and a package. And they say, you have to take these people to the United States. And I said, you know, I can't. My motor's broken. Well, there's a kill switch you can do on a diesel engine so you can turn it over, turn it over, nothing happens. And one of the guys looks down and he says, oh, wait a minute, man, the switch is off. And he turns it on. I'm going, ah, crap, right? So anyway, so I start scheming. How am I going to deal with this? And long story short, I start to take these people and these this guy with a gun on me to the States, but I'm just all the way th- in the process. We went, how am I going to get out of this? What can I do? I can call the Coast Guard, all this kind of thing. Anyway, I get to the States. I call the Coast Guard. And I, and the, as a matter of fact, I hailed over. A, it's still worth telling the whole story. I know it gets long. But I call this Coast Guard boat over. There was a guy on the boat that I recognized. I'd seen him every time I came through customs, which was like every 90 days. I, put, I go like this to my head and I wave them to come over. So they come over, there's no incident, they tie the boats together, they start zip tying these guys and taking them off my boat. And I'm so glad they pulled me over. And I'm telling this guy how it happened and what the phone numbers are and who the guys are in the Bahamas and I think I'm great. Then they decide to zip tie me because I must be a bad guy. So long story and short of all this, I didn't have any issues legally ultimately, but it started looking like that and I lost my boat. And now the funny thing is, I went to the uh, my lawyer and I said, "How do I get my boat back?" Because of course they took it. The lawyer says, "If you try to get the boat back, they'll be they'll go turn around and accuse you of being part of this." And I say, "But that's ridiculous. The worst thing I've ever done in my life is a speeding ticket. It doesn't make any sense." He goes, is isn't worth it." I said, "Come on, let's let's go for it." He goes, "Nope, not worth it." Anyway, it turns out I can't get the boat back. It, I wasn't willing really to take the risk, right? So I lost this hundred and sixty thousand dollar boat. And I found out six months later when my brother-in-law was leasing his dock space in Florida to someone, the guy pulls up in my boat and it's the arresting officer from the, harbor, from the Coast Guard, the guy that I called over to help my butt. Anyway, now this is an outrage I know this is a crazy story, sounds like baloney, but it's true. But you, you notice as we're going through here, there were all kinds of moments when I should have gone, you know, I think I'll stop doing this or I'll stop hanging out with these guys. But I kept going, it's never going to touch me. We have this great relationship. It's going to be fine. And now that's the worst story of my entire life of making mistakes, at least in my opinion. Um, But I have this habit, or I've had this habit in my life of having things blow up because I've always done this thing where it's like, go for it, get permission later. Because four out of five times, it would work out beautifully. No problems. Everything would be great. Everybody makes money. Everybody's happy. But of course, not every time. But this was just the worst example of it. And so I was being naive to what was really going on someone like i'm thinking of another guy in our group mark who's a totally different person than i am with risk he would have been he would have taken off from the bahamas at the first conversation right <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't have taken that risk um but anyway so that's this outrageous story so so oftentimes i would be naive to the risk thinking more positive than is reasonable for most people and go for it anyway and like I say, I had enough success with it since I was a kid that, that I could justify the times it didn't work out. But as I'm getting a little older and wiser, because now I'm 67 and I'm hanging around with you guys and Scott, and you guys are giving me great advice about what to do, but I still occasionally make these ridiculous mistakes. But they're less now, and they're not as severe. But it's it's like a positive attitude is great, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. So if you don't follow through and maybe have an accountant on your side or an advisor on your side or whatever, you're going to miss stuff. And so, so if you don't follow through with the details, sure, you could get, it could work once in a while, but, but the, but when it explodes, it's really bad.
2: <laughs> right. Like, like landing up in jail or getting kidnapped by pirates, that would be bad. Yeah. right? Like <laughs> like yeah,
0: yeah. So, so, you know, in every one of those offices, I have a picture of my boat. Not that I talk about it with clients, but it just reminds me, right, of something that I really treasured, that um, you know I lost because I was being stupid, you know, taking too much risk. And um,
2: I just have to ask: Did you change your last name to Luck, or what, is it just Luck no, that your um, last name is Luck?
0: No, I was born with it. That's, that was I. That's my real name. You were born with it. Yeah, I was born. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And you believed it.
0: (laughs) Sure. Well, you know, there's two ways to look at that. Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson said, there's no such thing as luck. There's only preparedness meeting opportunity. So that would be logical, right? Um, But then again, um, none of your audience is going to remember who this is, but um, uh, uh, darn it, uh, old movie guy. But anyway, this old movie guy said, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any at all. So I don't want to, you know, have that one, right? But um, right. But really what it comes down to, you know, there's there really, I mean, luck can happen, but I don't think it really happens unless you even notice what showed up. You know, you have to be somewhat prepared when an opportunity shows up that's legitimate. Otherwise, you'll never see it. I mean, I've had clients come in the office and say they can't find a job. And then they'll tell me that they're not sending in applications. They're looking at the ads for jobs. So, so they're not even seeing the right. opportunity. Well, then nobody will hire me. I go, well, how do you know that? I mean, right now there's more jobs than people applying down here. And so there's they'll train you. you know? But they're not
2: seeing Right, that. You're really good at stepping into any situation and seeing where is the opportunity. And a lot of people are waiting for the opportunity to be given to them or to come to them oh, yeah. somehow. Or, or they, they want somebody to to, to to show it to them or to provide it to them.
0: Yes. That's naive <laughs> to think that, it's going to just show up. A,
2: it's a different version of being naive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. So, so I, it makes me, makes me think of a client I was working with where it was a mentorship situation. And he came into town for two days. And he, the reason he was came in is because he was struggling to take his business to the next level. He just wouldn't take the steps. And as I got to know the guy, when we got into the second day and we're talking about family stuff, he talked about how his mother, who had passed away ten years ago, his mother was just always protective and always took care it's like you can imagine her not letting him leave the house without arm you know elbow pads and a helmet on and kind of gave him the impression that she would protect him his whole life. He'd be fine. And his dad on the other hand, was a was a heavy duty factory guy and a really tough guy and so he thought his father didn't love him and his mother did. So his mother had passed away. He had not seen his dad in ten years because he was just wouldn't deal with him. And when we got done with the weekend, he was realizing maybe his dad loved him, but his dad was teaching him to be tough. And so he called me on, Mm -hmm. this was a weekend, he called me on Wednesday and he says, I just went and saw my dad. I said, what do you mean? He goes, when I got there, the moving van was there. He was moving out to go to an assisted living. And he says, I told him to move in with me. Within a year, he had 25% more business coming in his door, more profitable. And I don't know that it's anything I specifically said to him, except he realized his dad was saying, his dad basically said this if you fall off your bike, get back on and go. If you don't work hard to get things in life, you probably won't get it. There's no guarantee you'll get it if you work hard, but you certainly won't if you don't. And so he realized his dad loved him maybe even more than his mother because he really wanted him to be successful and wasn't going to stand for him, you know, expecting it to show up.
2: Yeah. And so you, you kind of intuitively knew this from when you were really young and got lots of benefit from it. So you just kept going.
0: Yeah, and I don't know where that came from, Robbie. I, I was the first of five, the other four were girls. Um, maybe what happened is when the girls came along, I wasn't getting as much attention and I got to get by with stuff. That's my guess. You know, I somehow figured out a little bit of charm. You know, w- when I was in high school, I hung out with the hippies, I hung out with the jocks. You know, I had a got a jock girlfriend and a hippie girlfriend, so I got along with everybody. And I played in a band for a while, and so I was able to just kind of skate through. And I was never a good student; I was like a B student at best. I just did whatever I needed to do to get by. And when I got into sales, I found out, hey, I can do sales, and I don't have to like be incredible. I can just be pretty good. And you know, but I got caught up in thinking I was really special. And um, of course, as we're learning working with Scott is that, you know, we're not that special, <laughs> you know, when we think we are, we're in trouble. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, so if you think about it, when, you know, these lessons we have in life, um, if we have a thought and it's really compelling, like it, it's really, it really motivates us to want that thing we're thinking about, then we're likely to take some action. But what a lot of people do is they take action once or twice to give up, you know, but what they've got to do is take consistent action, and then it eventually becomes a habit. And then once it becomes a habit, it becomes a belief, and then it just becomes how they do life. And when you look at successful people versus mm-hmm. not successful, they each have their pattern. And it's it's got very little to do with who they are, where they come from, their race, their their, cult- their culture. It just has to do with getting off their butt and realizing they're responsible for their own life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about when you're working with clients at your hypnosis clinic. Um, So one thing that I've observed, and I've trained some students who are uh, maybe not as extreme as you with the pirate ships and the ships and the drugs and all that, but definitely more in that direction. Sometimes when they're first starting as a hypnotist, what happens is that they... They people love being around them because of all that positive energy and, and they kind of borrow it from them. It's like they're basking in the glow of you or yeah. the, the, the people who are really good at this. And and the problem that I've seen happen is that then the hypnotist actually misses what the client's doing because the client is just mirroring what the hypnotist is doing. They're of kind of borrowing. And then when they leave, they haven't actually changed anything. And so <laughs> it, it can be it, it that can be a challenge. So talk Talk a little bit about how that's played out for you and how you've managed to, to change that.
0: Yeah, and I would say a piece of that, as far as the hypnotist goes, is we can get caught up in the praise.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're sitting there going, yeah, I am pretty great, right? And, and, and you're right. What, what happens when we do that is we are suddenly in our way to help them. Um, it, so the best way we can help them is to model them So we get, at least I think, so then we get a feeling of what are they modeling? What are they thinking? How how are they doing their life? And then stepping back and going, okay, well, what would be a great model for them to have or pattern for them to have to get the outcome they want, Um, regardless of whatever pattern I'm running? Because I'm not always running the best pattern personally. You know, I mean, I'm trying to. Some days I feel guilty when I do a session with the client when they go, wow, because, oh, I just learned that again for myself. You know, so it's like, I feel like I should have got, I should have paid them for that session. But, but yeah, it, praise is, it's nice. It's like if you ever have a weight loss client come in and bring you a cake, there's a problem. <laughs> you know, because they're bringing you a cake, they're supposed to be doing weight loss and not having much cake. You know, it, it so that's nice, but I turn those down. So when we're getting a read on the client, it means we are getting out of ourselves. we're getting out of our way, we're getting out of our personal thoughts, and we're actually getting in a state where we are just, we're totally simpatico with them, or whatever that word might be, where we're no, where we are feeling what it seems they're feeling. And I think of it sometimes like moments in our lives when we've been with, with our kids or a spouse or we're dating or whatever, when you're in this conversation and the world could be caving in around you, but you don't notice it. And it's really neat when you can get yourself in a state as a practitioner here, where you can get yourself in a state where you don't care about anything else outside of that room, where nothing outside of the room matters. Even the next client that might be waiting for you, it doesn't matter right now. Because right now, all that matters is are you connecting with that person and getting a good, accurate read so you can help them. And I found that Ho'oponopono is how I clear myself before I walk in that room every single time I do that. And I've done it so long now that I just probably it kind of happens, but, but if I, if I'm not connected to that person, I'm going to miss stuff for sure. And even when I'm connected, I've still got a lot to learn. So I still miss stuff, but I think, I think most of the time it works. Um, when a client comes along and says, wow, you saved my life. I go, thank you, but I'm just the teacher. You're the one who did what I taught you. You deserve the success and the, and the applause. I'm just teaching. And that, but, but I made myself have to say that I have to, I force myself to make sure I'm not getting too big of an ego on it. And when I, and I do that, I go, I go up and down with being big ego and then wait a minute, be humble. And I'm, I'm getting better, but I know that sometimes I get caught in it, especially if I just had a day with five testimonials or something, I'm a little bit puffed up. And then I go, wait a minute, there's another client waiting for you. You can't have, can't be puffed up. Um, so even though I sort of, I consider a big chunk of my happiness about how the business is going with how many testimonials that we get. I try really hard to not be another feather in your cap, Jay, another testimonial. Instead, I try to go great, another testimonial that's going to help more clients. I I purposely try to shift that language so that I'm really careful not to go there. Um, You know, Scott gives me a hard time because I have this expensive car and, you know, and anyway, I, I don't want to tell you what he told me the car is, but at any rate, you know, he gave me a hard time about the car because I'm running around with my ego about this car. And the thing is, it's just a car that costs too much money, but I have it, you <laughs> know, <and> whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be in the office in the Hawaiian shirt and cutoffs and flip flops. Now, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to have a client judge because of that. I've got to be a hypnotist when I'm at the office. I can't be Jay with the hot car. It, it, it won't work.
2: Right. Yeah. You got to step into the role for your clients. Yeah. 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 So talk a little bit about like you're very freedom minded, which means that you do well with pressure. You you want to be free. Um, you're you're okay with like whatever happens. You find a way to manage it, and you you're really good right. at like just mm-hmm. making things happen. And a lot of our weight loss clients, especially, are quite opposite of that, where they're more security minded, so, which means they get overwhelmed very easily with pressure. Right. So um, was there a time where you were when you were working with Security-minded clients and and kind of feeling like, come on, why isn't this happening, or or going too fast for them? Did did you find that that was an adjustment for you?
0: Yeah, because I'm getting because I was getting frustrated with them. I'm going, don't they get it? It's just this, right? And and so um, things like, you know, when we do the uh, the lug nut story, you know, chunking down, things like that um, help me help them. You know, um, and, and yes, going slower. So maybe I'm not going to jump into a certain session I might normally do at that point. I might do something different or do more more NLP techniques or something. But um, but but it, it comes down to what we were talking about earlier, which is if you've got a good read, you're going to pick up on the pace faster, slower, left, right. Um, sometimes when they come in, they've got other stuff going on in their life, and you're better off to just help with some stress that week. Because that's going to help them lose weight if they get past the stress, even though I would love to get them, you know, into the next thing like exercise boost, but they need some stress release that week. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think I'm getting better, but I know I have so much more to learn. Um, When the read's right, you can just tell. You can just tell because they shift their body and changes happen and they come in the next time and they're just going, wow, et cetera, it happened. and you know, it's great. And of course I'm careful with me. It's like, Robbie, if you gave me some big praise right now, I would sit back and, you know, faking a cigarette here, but I would sit back and go, got this. Right. And Scott Mm -hmm. knows me well enough to know that he never praises me. Like, I mean a little bit, but he'll say, great. Now do this. Because he knows I'll sit on my butt. And I remember when I was selling real estate and I was a young guy in the business and I was so proud of myself because I was the number one guy on the board after about six months in the business. And I'm strutting through the office about seven or eight days into the next month. And my manager says, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. He says, no, this month. And, you know, and I hadn't done crap because I was sitting around. But so I really like the way all of us in our group can help each other because like you and I, we have these different techniques and strategies and backgrounds and all of this stuff. So we see things in the other person they don't see.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, for instance, you know, that technique we do with the switch pattern. Mm-hmm. Well, as you might guess with me being a freedom personality, I detest paperwork and details. Like I, I, I avoid it at all costs. And my accountant said to me one day, he says, Jay, if you don't do this, someday the IRS is going to knock on the door and go come with us, you know, and and because you didn't do something. And I keep saying, ah, don't worry about it. I'll get to it. Right. So So Scott and I did the switch pattern about this one time. And the thing is, he'd been talking to me about this pattern I run. For 10 years, the day that I met him, he told me about the pattern. And I went, yeah, I understand. And of course, I didn't get it. I understood. I, it was like I got the logic of it and the, it made sense. So it was this intellectual I got it, but not this I got it in my chest. When we're changing as as, as practitioners, because we do our own change work also, right? Um, is that, And when you're helping clients change, that if you don't get what they're going through, you don't get how to help them really. So, so if we've been through it ourselves, um, I've met hypnotists who've never been hypnotized. But when you go through it yourself, now you get what they're going to learn and how the impact is and how important it is and how, which makes us do this. Um, yeah, I love making the money, but you know what? If I, I got a feeling if I didn't need the money, I'd do it anyway. It's it's just too much fun. Um, my wife says, when are you going to retire? I looked at her and said, huh? It's, it's just like it doesn't cross my mind. So. Um, but yeah, um, you, so when when someone comes in and they're super positive, I typically realize now they're probably going to take longer to get where they want to get than they think. Because I've, they've got to get past the positive and go, wait a minute, I'm dumb. I really don't know what I'm doing. And I need to accept that fact and then learn it so I'm not dumb anymore about it. Like they don't know what they don't know, but they think they know because they're a freedom like me.
2: Mm-hmm. Great. And so some of what you're talking about here, I know we've mentioned a lot of techniques, which, which are beyond the scope of this podcast. So if people yeah. want to learn more about those, um, you know, that would be a, you, you can look into training and things like that. But the big picture pattern that you're describing here is that you know where your uh, challenges are. And so you develop some rituals and in, in techniques that you use in a routine basis to stay focused on the client and do what they need. So that when you're in the, the clinic, you're doing what the client needs. And then when you leave, you can go drive off in your fancy car or right, whatever you do in your personal life. Right. But that, right. you know, when you're at the clinic or you're running your business, you have some systems in place that support you and, and you've learned how to surrender into minding those systems, which I bet at one point wasn't something that you were very good at. Right? Of course not. Yeah. No, of
0: course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Yeah, and I'm I'm just so grateful for our group because oh, I've learned so much. It's, it's it's like when I think of people Scott talks about that have left the group, I'm going, huh? It's like it's like, how, why? Cause, you know, you can have embarrassing moments, but that's but darn it, that's how you learn.
2: That's right. Yeah, you don't
0: learn if it's all just coasting because you're really not learning anything new then. Yeah, for sure. I took this seminar when I was like 22 years old and I don't recall the title, but the guy said, the guy said, this." he said, I failed my way to the top. So he was talking about how mistaken, making mistakes is just part of the deal that the more you make likely, the more you're learning. And, um, I it, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I probably heard it different then than I do now. I probably heard it then like, Oh, go for it. You know, now I hear it is, well, it makes sense, but now I have to be willing to make mistakes being a little less freedom with some things. Right. Um, It's like doing my paperwork would just be a good thing to do. It would just be good to do it. (laughs)
2: Right. This whole idea of being about possibility and expecting it to work out helps a lot because too many people are afraid of failure or afraid of embarrassing themselves or the downside or they're afraid to take a risk. And so even if people go just a little bit more in, in your direction, it will help a lot, even just a little bit more. Because with what we're teaching people to do, they have to, they can't just do it in their head, they have to actually have real life experiences doing something a new way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hypnotic learning, you know, we make changes in, in the clinic and we we help your subconscious mind get on board. And, and then, yeah, you got to still do things in real life. And if people um, undo or sabotage the hypnotic change by uh um, sabotaging it or picking it apart or um, retreating to the rules of their family or their, you know, the people sure. they surround themselves with, then it gets in the way of the, the discovery, which is what this is all right. about.
0: Yes. Yes. It's, and it is discovery. It's, 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 I'm starting to look at it like this, that I'm, I'd like to think that our clients can learn to reimagine themselves every year. So they're, so that's, so it's a learning they've got for their life, even if they come in to quit smoking, let's say, um, they're going to learn this big, huge thing. And then by the way, they quit smoking. Um, so they're learning how to think different, how to be, how to just be open and curious to other ways things might be. Um, you know, just because a person's raised a certain way, doesn't have anything to do with what they can do in the future if they choose to do something different, um, so, you know, a major thing that we're doing is, yes, the positive thing. Um, everybody that comes in the office, especially the people that are really negative come in the office and they say, nothing ever works for me. And so it's a good idea to help them find some things that have worked for them. And then they start to go, oh, maybe I'm not always a failure. And then they can relate to that by then projecting into the future what it would feel like to succeed with the thing they came to the office for. And it will feel like the things they've succeeded with in the past that they forgot they even succeeded with. So everyone that comes in our office has succeeded with something. I mean, they made it far enough in life to get to your office. So so everything has not gone bad. Something, sure. I I expect to make lots more mistakes. I don't want to make one like I made with the boat again, though. I'm going to pretty much try not to repeat that one.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're really building people's belief that it's possible for them to be successful. And some people do need that more step-by-step step than others. They need to have uh, small doable wins, and then yeah. they build on those wins as they go.
0: Sure, sure. When, when a smoker comes in the office and, and they go, you know, it's not working, let's say it's the second session, they typically have at least smoked less. So let's say that they used to smoke two packs a day. Now they smoke one. The first thing I do is I get out my calculator, 20 cigarettes a day, 365 days. And I go, wait a minute, you're down this many already. And then they go, wow. So I'm getting to, po- to focus on the positive, not the negative. And when you do that, their whole attitude changes, their mm-hmm. body language changes. They go, "Now let's just finish up. Let's just get rid of the rest. I, and I don't care if they're down two cigarettes a day. I'm going to use that you know um had a guy come in the office about quitting smoking and he did his own math before i did it for him but i would have he walked in the office we're just getting ready to we haven't sat in the chair to do the session he says i just did the math and in my first year i'm going to save forty seven hundred dollars in cigarettes i didn't have to say a word he did that already right so suddenly the fee Mm -hmm. looked really cheap you know
2: yeah awesome
0: I, sometimes I look back and think, I should have doubled the fee on all those people, and they still would have been happy. <laughs> but it's, yeah, so positive is the start, but it is not the finish. It's just, it's the start. We know from our conversation in our group uh, a, a few days ago that, that imagination is 10 times more powerful than, than grunting through willpower. Because if a person doesn't believe they're going to get the goal or isn't positive about getting the goal, how are they going to grind through all that stuff they got to do? You know, let's, let's say it's 22 steps to get to a goal. Well, if they believe they're going to get it, those 22 steps come fairly easy. If they don't believe they're going to get it, they're a grind and a struggle and they'll give up halfway through because they're going, it's not going to be worth it. I'm not going to get the goal. So positive, imagining it's already accomplished and what it'll feel like to get there. And then what happens is I love to have them do this thing where, where they imagine they're, they're at the goal. They're celebrating it. They notice how they walk, how they feel, the compliments they might get. And then I say, now look back at this moment when you walked in the door a little while ago and you thought you were failing. How big does that moment look? And they go, you know, this big. So I said, notice how when you're in that moment 10 minutes ago, it was huge. But when you get to the goal, it means it's nothing. It's just a bump. And so, so, so all these things I'm talking about, these techniques we do, they keep getting it to positive, getting it to positive, getting it to belief. Because the mood that our clients get in determines their outcome. Yes, there's the details of things, but the details don't matter too much. You're just grinding through details without the mood. That's the positive mood. And, yeah. and yes, it's not enough, so I don't want to stress it too much. It's not enough if you don't follow through, if you don't listen to the audio tracks, if they don't show up for sessions. It's not enough just to be positive. That's, that's wishful. But when you put positive with action, you, you pretty much can't miss
2: yeah and and pairing that also with making everything a learning experience so that they can learn from where where things didn't go well,
0: yeah yeah it's and I like Scott's comment that which, which was uh there's no such thing as failure or success, there's only feedback mm-hmm. and you know, and oftentimes when you say that to a client they they're a little confused but you got to work with it a little bit, but then they go, ah, oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a big thing. We, we teach clients a lot because a lot of them are looking, is it, did I succeed or fail? Did I do well or not? Did I fall off the wagon? Right? So they're right. looking to judge it. Right. And so sure. they've never actually learned anything in their life before that feels more like just learning and discovery. And so I've yeah. found that that's really, no matter what people are coming for help with, that that uh, skill is a big part of their success.
0: Sure. A lot of times when they are talking about that failure or that that they fell off, I say, you know, all those testimonials you read and all the videos you saw, every one of those people fell off. And they go, oh, they did? Yeah. So what are you worried about?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) I've never had a perfect client. I don't know about you, Robbie, but I've never had a perfect client. And I know for sure I'm not perfect. Mm -hmm. So when people expect to be perfect, they're just kidding themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much easier to just be a human and then learn the stuff. I don't know what my cup yeah. says. Oh, be still and know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> it's a meditation cup. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So. <laughs> So one other thing that I wanted to mention was that sometimes when people are into like, you know, the whole positive thinking movement, um, they're really into things like affirmations. And I know we we talked to the, about this a little bit already, but just to make it clear that it's so important that people take it, that all the way into mm-hmm. action. It's not enough yeah. to just have positive affirmations because if they don't, they end up being cynical and then yeah. they give up on the whole thing. So we <laughs> we talk about in this is how expect plus realization equals belief and, yeah. and affirmations are just expectation <laughs> but yes. they, they don't actually have any realization involved
0: it's a wish and a prayer that's right yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. and i was a i was a i was, a, I was uh I, I did that quite a bit and scott got on my case because i would do a lot of affirmation teaching to my clients without enough reinforcement about now what do you do right and um So so I do it totally different now, but, but I would do a thing every morning where I had this journal and I would put in this affirmation. But until I started to say the affirmation, plus here's what I'm going to do, it was just nice words. Let's say that we have a weight loss client who wants to become a size six and they want to weigh a certain amount of weight. So I may have them do an affirmation that says that, but immediately following it, they're writing down what they're going to do. So it could be, I'm going to have more vegetables. I'm going to get to the gym five minutes, five minutes more a day, whatever it is. But that, but that is now part of it. But there was a time when I just happened to do the affirmations, you know, not that I wasn't tying in sessions with it and things to do, but I wasn't having the, having the things to do tied directly to the affirmations. And I believe when that changed, it helped more people. It helped more people. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: The accountability to take action.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then celebrate when you get success. Even if it's as simple as you added five days, I mean, five minutes a day to your workout, that's celebrated. Pat yourself on the back um, because then it's easier to do the next five minutes. I had a weight loss client one time, seven-year-old guy. He was doing, you know, an hour on a treadmill or something. And I said, can you do two hours? He goes, there's no way. And I said, add five minutes. I'll talk, I'll see you next week. He shows up next week. He's doing an hour and 10 minutes, right? So when it was a bite-sized piece, it was easy. And then he was really proud of himself and he and he got, you know, he got his goal and everything. But these are the things we have to read with the clients, even though some of the things we might do with pretty much every client, there's still that read. So go faster, not go as fast. They're not going to be as big a freedom as me, probably in certain case, most cases, probably. So I have to realize that that freedom thing can look stupid to them, you know? Um, You know, and whereas me, who's not the security type, thinks security looks stupid, but of course it's not. It's where they're coming from and where they're comfortable. So then how can I help them be a bit more freedom to get the goal securely?
2: Right. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you think would be helpful for people to know?
0: Gosh, don't be afraid of anything you could go learn. Uh, Be willing to admit you just might not know what it is you're going to go learn assumptions keep us, get us in trouble. Um, it's like, I don't like to accept narcissists as clients. They won't listen to anything because they already know everything, right? And so, but anyway, so if you want to learn something and you want to master it, I don't care if it's master quitting smoking or master being a to him If you want to master something, you've got to be willing to just go, I'm going to start this like I don't know a thing about it. And I'm just going to absorb it and take it in and be curious and and do my best to get out of judgment of it based on whatever I think it was or should be or could be or whatever and, 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 and just be curious and go for it and check it out. And then notice what happens and notice this and notice that. And before you know it, you've got a skill that's now automatic. And so it's like when clients come in, they, they often think what we do is some mystery like in the movies or... Know, or, with, or their perception of stage shows, which is usually wrong too, you know, which is that some hypnotist is going to make them do anything we want to, and we might be some crazy goofball. And the thing is, is that is not true. That's movies. And so when they come in, a big thing we're doing is diffusing that story, that myth, and getting them to realize that, no, they're totally in charge of getting the outcome. We're just teaching them. We're teaching them skills and techniques and, and helping them see it from another angle instead of the way they've always seen it, and then notice another part of something they're doing that they didn't see before. An analogy I like to use sometimes is I, I'll, say, I'll say to a client, imagine that every day you turn green, and you don't know why, and you don't like it. And I said, well, you come into my office, and I'm telling you why you're turning green, and you just don't believe me. And I said, no, imagine this. I've got a drone ahead ab- of, above you at a couple hundred feet up, and it's following you everywhere you go all week. And we noticed as we got this drone film here that every time you take a left, you turn green. And the client goes, I don't take a left. There's no way I do it. I go, here's the video. And they go, oh my gosh, they do. So I go, well, what if you didn't turn left? What if we teach you a different way to turn? Maybe you won't turn green. Okay. So, but that's really what it is, is one of the ways we're able to help people, you know, incredibly is, yes, because we've seen thousands of clients. That gives us a lot of a lot of history and a lot of skill to do things almost automatically because we've seen it hundreds of times before. But the biggest thing about it is we're not in their head. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm self-analyzing, I don't know that that's really that accurate, you know? So, so
2: Yeah, none of us us are.
0: (laughs) I know. It's like one of the things I love about our group is I could say something in one of our group calls and somebody will call me on it because they see something I'm doing that I wasn't even aware of. And the fun thing is, because we do the work we do, we may know the technique to fix it like quickly, but we don't even know we're doing it. So you know, so Robbie, you might say, oh, Jay, you're doing this thing. And so I get off the phone. and I go, ah, okay, well, I know what to do about that. But I didn't know I was doing it. And, and that it's, it's so fun. You know, uh, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm an average guy and I just, I, I love helping people. It's a lot of fun. I never thought this was the kind of thing I'd be doing in my life. I mean, I was a sales guy and I loved it. And, um, but this is like, it, it's like what I taught in sales was the tip of the iceberg of understanding human behavior, and the techniques, and habits, patterns, and beliefs we run. I thought I knew what I was talking about, but of course now I realize I had no clue. I was pretty good, but not that good. And and every time we have another call with our group, I'm going, "Oh, there's one more little little gem I didn't know existed," or or I've heard it that fifth time when it actually meant something to me when it, when it cooked better. And. Um, I don't know. When you get into this, you can't get enough of it. it just, you can't get enough. Yeah. But one of the patterns I run that Scott pulled out to me so, so beautifully one time was that because I have this, I get this adrenaline rush from a crash, and I get an adrenaline rush from putting it back together. And when things are coasting along and doing great, I get bored.
2: Mm-hmm. So you want to try stuff.
0: Well, well I, I mean, like, I don't logically think I want the crisis, but it's like when one happens, I get pumped up again. Right. So, so, and then I have the story to tell my friends about the Phoenix, right? And so I'm learning to, like, one of the things Scott's really working hard with me on now is to enjoy when it's successful and enjoy coasting along and enjoy taking it to the next level and enjoy enjoy those things as much as I used to enjoy the rush up and down.
2: Mm-hmm. Then
0: I'll have less crashes, Yeah. bottom line. Right. But when I go on vacation, it's like right. I get bored. I want to get back to see my clients. Um, so it's weird. Like I'll be I'll be hustling to go on the vacation and I get there. And I'm going ah, <laughs> I want to go back and work with people. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, yeah. You, you, this is a different kind of uh, adventure than you would have from traveling. And in a lot of ways, it's much more real because we're doing real things. Yeah. And so yeah, it can take yeah. on a another level of satisfaction or or fascination yeah, than a, an everyday kind of vacation. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Well, that's one of the job perks we get. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Appreciate being asked to come on.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks, Jay. I really appreciate you being here. Why don't you share with people how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about how you can help them?
0: Great. Thank you. I will. So um Let's use my main website, which would be WisconsinHypnosisCenter.com. And my personal phone number, I'll give you that, is 612-868-8177. And um, I love challenges. So if you think you got something that we could help you with, you might be surprised. Maybe we can. And we'll be honest with you. If, if it's something we don't think uh, you're that we're well-suited for to help you, we'll, be, we'll let you know that too
2: great yeah and if people want to learn more about how hypnosis training can help you and this is whether it's for sales or if you want to become a professional hypnotist or maybe you just want to help yourself get other goals you can check right. out hypnosis training um, if you're ready to move forward with with looking at uh, doing some training we can also set up a free consultation to see if hypnosis training canada is a good fit for you so and you can also call 800-971-577 Seven, four. So thanks a lot, Jay. It was great to have you here. I learned so much, all kinds of things I never knew about you today. So uh, this was really fun.
0: Some of it a little colorful.
2: <laughs> Very colorful. I love it. Yeah, more colorful than I would ever have stories about. So <laughs> I, I love learning vicariously through your stories. So I don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: well, yeah. better you didn't. <laughs>
2: Now that we have the technology to study the brain, the power of tried and true hypnotic communication techniques is being formally proven with neuroscience. Next week, neuromarketing expert Les Evans will be sharing with you easy hypnosis techniques for marketing, advertising, sales, and getting your child to brush their teeth. And if you're wanting to discover more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule your free consultation. Remember to click the button to subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, and please leave us a review so you can help others benefit from the podcast too. Until next week.
1: You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free consultation.